Our scripture lesson tonight comes from the Gospel of the Good News according to St. Luke chapter 22. Uh, we're going to find Jesus in the garden here in verses 39 to 44. I invite you to read the Holy Scripture with me. He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not come into the time of trial. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and gave him strength. In his anguish he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down on the ground. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, tonight we come to the close, the conclusion of our sermon series um, on open doors and discernment about what God is calling us to do or not to do. And this, the sermon title for tonight is Thank God for Closed Doors. Thank God for Closed Doors. Will you say that with me? Thank God for Closed Doors. Well, that is easier said than done, isn't it? Thanking God for Closed Doors. If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. As a way of introduction and simply remembering where we've been over these last six weeks, an open door is an opportunity provided by God for you to bless others. Will you say that with me? An open door are opportunities provided by God for you to bless others. That's what we've been talking about. And what are those doors that God calls us to and calls us through and which ones are closed and how do you know? You see, God opens doors, but God also closes doors. Both are good. Do you know that? Both are good. Oftentimes someone will pray, well, I really want you to pray that I'll get that job. And what I will say to them is, I will pray that if that job is good for you, if that's a blessing for you, may you have it. And if it's not, then may you not have it. Because God wants what's best for you all the time. See, every time God closes a door, God is up to something. Every time God closes the door, God is up to something good for you. Some of the greatest prayers are the ones that never get answered the way we want. Some of the greatest doors are those that have never been opened. And the Bible is full of closed doors as it is of open ones. I would remind you that the very perfect Garden of Eden paradise was closed after the fall. The door to the promised land became closed to Moses. The door to the building of the temple was closed to David, but then later was opened to his son Solomon. The letter to the church in Philadelphia in Revelation says that it is in the power of the Holy One not only to open doors that no one can shut, but also to shut doors that no one can open. If somebody were to ask me, what's the single biggest struggle with prayer, and why don't we pray more often, I suppose that the answer could be really two words. Unanswered prayer. It's really hard on us when that happens. Somebody would love to be married and they pray for that for years to meet the right person, but they never do. Somebody wrestles with depression and they ask God for it to lift, but it doesn't. Somebody gets seriously cheated or wronged in their work and they ask God for justice to prevail. And justice does not prevail in this lifetime. Closed doors are painful and sometimes they're of our own making and our, and our own actions closed doors. And other times, uh, it seems like it's no fault of our own. Or maybe we're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
I remember going on vacation. We're coming into vacation season. Many of you all have already been on your vacations right here at the end of school. It's, it's that time where you're about to take any road trips. Anybody going to take a road trip this summer? Some of you going to head out? Our family would often go all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico, the Redneck Riviera. That's where we like to hang out. It's right down there on the white sands of the Emerald Beaches. We love that. I remember one season, I was probably 6th, 7th, 8th grade, you know, just big enough to think I knew stuff, try to hold my own, be a man. Uh, We were living in Guthrie at the time, and we were driving all the way down uh, to the Gulf Coast. And I remember, it's, it's one thing, you're so excited on the way going down, but on the way back... Well, it's, a, it's another thing, and on the, on the end of the drive, in those last seven hours or so, uh, you know, your parents, they just get a little more impatient, a little more impatient, and they're going to drive through, and I remember being about an hour and a half, two hours outside of Oklahoma City, and uh, I remember saying to my father, you know, I could really go to the bathroom, you know, it'd be great, and then that was something that, you know, you did with fear and trembling, you never told the driver you had to go, you didn't want to be the one person that everybody had to stop for, so I, I said, well, you know, I... You know, it'd probably probably a good idea. And he's like, well, hang on. You know, I'm like, okay. And he's like, you know, I could go too, but, you know, we're going to kind of push through this and we're going to get home. It's getting late and we're going to get home. Got closer, got closer. My sister needed to go. My mom needed to go. We all had to go. Problem is, the parsonage we lived in at the time had two bathrooms. One upstairs, one downstairs. And so as I remember the story, I'm sure my parents remember it differently, but as I remember it, we pulled up at about midnight, maybe two in the morning, and um, we all had to go. And it was a dead sprint for the closest bathroom. We all went, and my dad and I got to the bottom bathroom at the exact same time. The door was wide open, and we were trying to get through the door at the same time. My dad was much bigger than I was at the time, and so he got in, and um, rather than just giving up the ghost, I did something I will regret for the rest of my life. I stuck my foot right in the door jam so that he could not close the door. He closed the door <laughs> and locked it. And I could neither get on in the door nor remove myself from the door until he chose to finish his business on the other side of the door. I heard my sister go upstairs. I heard my mom go upstairs. But there was no potty for me. I had to wait there in the door. You see, there's something incredibly painful, incredibly discouraging about being on the wrong side of the door or trying to force yourself through a door, then it's not your time. You have to be careful with these doors. No creature on earth wants to feel shut out or on the wrong side of the door. Closed doors discourage us. They, they may come up in a job or a relationship or a financial lives or education, and, and we get just disgusted. Painful, impatient, worried. And we get stuck in our lives. Surely it must be a good thing that God alone has the power to shut those doors in such a way that they can't be opened. Because God knows what's best for us. So often a closed door that frustrated me at the time has become the occasion for gratitude later on. You can only see those things in hindsight. I'm still waiting about that door on the bathroom thing. But I find myself these days as a a man of 47 years that I began to thank God for closed doors. For the girl in high school who rejected me, or else I would have never ended up with my wife, Chantel. One of the great blessings of my life. 
I thank God that I didn't get into graduate school at SMU when I wanted to, or I would have never wound up coming to this conference or starting Acts 2 and having this great family of faith that we have now. I thank God for the prayers that went unanswered for years with things I've struggled with because I've learned more on the journey than I ever would have learned through immediate gratification. One of the things that I've learned in very painful ways is that maybe one of the reasons God doesn't answer my prayers is so that I can actually have compassion for other people who have lifelong struggles. So they're not alone either because I've got them too. When we admit that we have lifelong struggles, then we become more family, more compassionate, more merciful for those around us. Imagine someone in your life who never had a problem they couldn't lick on their own. They would be unbearable to live with. You see, I thank God for these closed doors, but not for all closed doors. There's still closed doors that bother me. Jesus himself, when speaking about the need for persistence in prayer, said this, knock and the door shall be opened. But he didn't say which door. And he didn't say how loud we should have to knock or how long we should keep at it. So how do I know which closed doors I should keep knocking? And how do I know whether I should keep pursuing this job or this school or this school or uh, this dream? How do I know whether I should let it go and move on or whether you are to dig in? The good news is that there's a simple two-word answer about all these questions. The bad news is that the two words are, you don't. You just don't know. People want to know, well, when, when am I supposed to leave my job? Well, have you sensed that the Lord's released you from that job? No. Then stay at it. Stay at it. You see, God has greater things in mind for us than, quote, knowing for sure. And there's something in us, isn't it, that we, I mean, we really want to know for sure. We, we want to know. But that's not the way God works. God always gives us just enough for the day. Not for more than one day. So what are some reasons God closes doors? God opens doors, God closes doors. What are three reasons that God closes doors? I want to offer three to you. Uh, The first is that sometimes we're just knocking at the wrong door. Sometimes we ask wrongly. That's what James says. He says you you ask and you don't receive because you're not even asking for the things that God will bless. For example, one day Peter, James, and John are on a mountain... It's the transfiguration story. They see Jesus uh, transformed radiantly before their eyes. He's walking around with Moses and Elijah. And Peter says, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. As if all three were on par with each other. Two mortals and God himself. Peter didn't know what to do or what to say. And so he decides he's going to build Jesus a hut. Like God needs a hut. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. We're not staying here. We've got more work to do. That's the wrong request. Peter had the right heart. He just didn't get it. He was at the wrong door. Another time, James and John decide they want to upgrade their heavenly seating assignments. So they have their mother kneel before Jesus, asking for one to be on his right and one to be on his left. And Jesus says, no, no, mommy's self-promotion won't work here. It's not going to do. Another time, um, they go into a Samaritan village that fails to welcome them. And and given the ethnic tensions between Samaria and Israel, it's not really surprising that James and John want to pray fire from heaven down on the villagers to wipe them out. And Jesus says no, even though they were his friends. He loves all his children. So all through the Bible, we see closed doors in response to wrong requests. And as we get older, we can start to see some of those wrong requests. 
In fact, on four separate occasions, this is in your sermon notes, there are four different people, Moses, Jeremiah, Elijah, and Jonah, they all ask God to take their lives. They ask God, kill me, just kill me. And in every case, God says, no, no, no Moses, no Elijah, no Jeremiah, no Jonah. And I have to wonder, and and I have to think, they were pretty happy that God said no when they kind of got out of their bad mood. Right? I mean, think about those times. We can get so messed up in our thinking in our lives, we can ask God some crazy things. Some crazy things. Now, many of you all know that Chantel and I are Oklahoma State grads, and uh, we graduated in 90-91. Um, and there's a, there's a guy from OSU that we like to listen to every once in a while. Um, he looks like this. Maybe you know him. Oh, Garth Brooks. Now, when we were just out of school, he had a song called Unanswered Prayers. Maybe you're familiar with it. He was at a football game at his old school and he saw a girl that he was nuts about and when he was in school. And so he used to pray to God that he would make that girl his wife. But it didn't happen. And so all these years later, he sees her again and he wonders, what was I thinking? And so under his breath, he whispers, thank God. Thank God I didn't wind up. And so the the main line of this song is some of God's greatest gifts are what? Unanswered prayers. Absolutely true. It's a slightly sobering thought, isn't it, friends, that we, you and I, might be somebody's unanswered prayer? When they see us walking at the mall, they're like, thank God we did not end up with them. So that's one reason. A second reason is that doors close because there's something better. God has something better in mind. Sometimes a door remains closed because something better lies down the road. It's just that we can't see it. That happens all the time. I want to take you back in, in history and tell you about a young man from an impoverished background. He dreamed of a better life for himself and his family. Then he had a very hard existence. I mean, he just grew up destitute, out in the country, worked hard, big family. He saved all he could, and he went deeply into debt to launch a grocery startup company. His partner had an alcohol problem, and he ended up so far in the hole that he referred to his financial obligations as the national debt. I mean, he had failed miserably. He gave up on ever being a successful businessman, and it took him more than a decade to pay off his failed dream. You imagine going out and and giving it your all and then being in debt for more than 10 years just trying to get back to even. So then he goes into law and then into politics, and he fails at a couple more things. And then in 1860, Abraham Lincoln was elected president. It failed time after time after time, closed door after closed door after closed door. As a matter of fact, his entire second inaugural address is an amazingly profound reflection on how God was at work in the Civil War in ways more mysterious and profound than any human being could fathom. What a loss it would have been, not just for him, but to the whole nation if the doors of that little grocery store that he started in New Salem had not been closed. What might our nation look like today? I love the way John Ortberg writes it. He says this. He says, It is fundamental to the kind of person God is and to the nature of prayer that God always reserves the right to say no. God always reserves the right to say no because he knows what will lead to better outcomes than we do. And that's really the rub with us and God all the time, isn't it? That we think, you know, that we want to serve God in an advisory capacity. It just doesn't work like that. And so we we get messed up in our prayer life. 
Imagine that in prayer we had access to supernatural power that would always make things work the way we wanted them to. It would be disastrous because of our hearts that turn inward. Anybody who thinks that closed doors disprove the efficacy of prayer, just we haven't thought about it very deeply. Prayer is God's business because God alone is good. And, and prayer is not incantation. It's not that prayer doesn't work just because you say uh, these kinds of words. Prayer is a talk with a person. That's your next blank there. It's a talk with Jesus, the most wise person to have ever lived on the planet. And sometimes God will say no. The Spirit will say no. And we should thank God for that blessing. Maybe the world's most frequent prayer is, Lord, change my wife. Lord, change my husband. Lord, change my children. Make him or her be like I want him or her to be. Make him do what I want him or her to do. Friends, if you are praying that prayer, you will be praying it until you die. Because God doesn't change other people on your behalf. He changes you if you're open to it. And that's where a lot of Christians get into trouble. God never overrides someone else's will on our behalf. It's good to ask God to shape the people in our lives. Yes, of course, we want love for them and grace and mercy in their life. But often when I pray these prayers, my real prayer is... God, I really don't want to face the reality of my own immaturity in this issue. I really want to be surrounded by people who think I'm great all the time and feed my ego, regardless of my actions. I'd really like to be bailed out by people who have better financial sense than I do and better relational skills and are more forgiving and more merciful than I am. I had a friend of mine uh, write to me. He wrote to a lot of people in this email, but he, he said this. He said, here's the law of jerks. He says, if you go through your day and you meet a jerk, don't worry about it. If you go through your day and you meet two jerks, uh, you need to take a moment and consider your life. And then he said, and if you go through your day and you meet three jerks that day, you're a jerk. That's what he said. He said, that's just the way it is. Like attracts like. We become like the people that are around us. And if you meet three jerks in a day, friends, you're, you're just a jerk. You're just finding that back at yourself. I thought that was pretty insightful. I've met no jerks today. I love you all. It's easy for me to say now, right? But the thing is, the most difficult person to change in the world is me. It's whoever's praying that prayer. The third reason doors close is because we need to grow. We need to grow. It's about timing, that's your blank there, or unforgiveness, or maturity. You see, we have these doors and we want things to go our way, but sometimes God calls us through a door and we just can't get through it because we've got all this baggage. We've got some unforgiveness. We just can't get it through the door. We've got anger that, you know, bangs on this side. And we've got resentments that bang on this side. We'd love to go through, but you can't take that stuff with you. You've got to drop it to get through the door. It's just too much weight. It's just too big. Doors close because we need to grow. Closed doors are often marked with unforgiveness and timing and immaturity. You see, Paul came to God and he asked him to remove what Paul called the thorn in the flesh. We don't really know what that is, but he asked for it over and over and over again. And all he got in return was a closed door. Paul came to understand that grace would not remove that thorn in his life. But grace would come anyway, with the thorn. And he'd be all right. So we might ask ourselves these questions. When we're trying to get through a door and we just can't seem to go, where do we need to grow? Well, we may need to grow more in generosity and freedom from our need for money in which 
case financial doors may close. Uh, a favorite preacher joke of mine is, is the millionaire who went to his pastor, and his pastor had been bugging him about tithing. Uh, and he'd been a tither a long time when he was a boy, uh, but, you know, he just hit it big in these tech stocks, and he just was making a million dollars a year. And, and he said, Pastor, you know, I'll, I'll give something, but I just, you know, I just can't tithe anymore. And he said, and Pastor said, okay. He, he said, let's pray. And, and, and the pastor got down on his knees, and he started praying. And, and the guy was like, well, what are you doing? And he started his prayer. He said, well, just pray with me. Lord, please reduce this man's income to a point where he can be faithful again. That was his prayer. Imagine that. You see, we can get these things all mixed up. We may need to grow in humility, in which case grandiose wish fulfillment doors will be closed. We may need to grow in our ability to delay gratification to where it's, it may be the right door, may just not be the right time. We may need to grow in our ability to love our enemies or our prickly friends where we no longer pray, Lord, change him. We begin to pray, Lord, help me love him. Help me love her. You see, often, friends, it may be that when the door marked go, that's your blank there. When go is closed, look for the door marked grow. Sometimes we just need that little R. We need to move from go to grow. Because those grow doors are often wide open. But sometimes we think that this growth is going to be something huge. It's got to be a big deal. Well, that's never been the way of Jesus or the way of Jesus' people. We start small. We start small. Mother Teresa is a great example of this. She does small things with great love. That's what she asks us to do. Small things with great love. Small things with great love. That's how we are to be. And you know what I find is that once we do something in faithfulness in a small way, often the Lord will give us an opportunity to do that in a little bit bigger way. And then a little bit bigger way. And a little bit bigger way. I'm always amazed at, at these overnight you know, succession uh, plans. These, these, these incredible you know, successes where people are like, oh wow, you know, did you know this? And then you, know, you watch a documentary on the person and they, you know, they've tried out for American Idol 500 times or The Voice or this or that or the other. There are almost no overnight successes. They're just people that work really hard and then at one time, the rest of the world knows about what they're doing. It's just a matter of hard work going through the small doors that the Lord asks us to go through. And the thing is, friends, you never know what a tiny door will lead you to. We don't know until the very moment of our death, even beyond who might be affected by our actions, what blessings we might offer the world by the tiniest little service doors. But we are invited to live as though God is opening doors that mean that our smallest acts of goodness will somehow, through God's grace, count for all eternity, for more than this life. So those are the three. Sometimes we knock at the wrong doors. Sometimes the doors are closed because the Lord has something better. We just can't see it yet. And thirdly, because we still need to grow. You know, there are certain things that we think, oh man, we'd be great there. But the truth is, they'd blow us up. We're not ready. We just need to grow a little bit more. And when we begin to be open to that growth, some beautiful things happen. So what does God know about closed doors? Well, plenty, friends. Of course, plenty. God himself knows the agony of more closed doors than any human being ever will. We remember that God has given to you and to me the key to the door of our own hearts. And God himself will not force his way in. I've always loved this painting of Jesus standing and knocking at the door you'll notice that there's no handle on that door. 
Jesus can't let himself in to your heart. He stands and he waits for all humanity, for all time, for all people on the planet to open their hearts to him. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus says. And it's not just we who hope God will open a door for us. God hopes we will open a door for him. Isn't that amazing that God gives us that sort of power and ability in our life? That God waits in the same way that we wait. So we stand with God in our pain at the closed doors. In the same way we wait, God waits. And I can only tell you that at the heart of the gospel is the unanswered prayer that we looked at just a little bit ago. Jesus kneeling in the garden and he prays, Father, if it's possible, may this cup of suffering be taken from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. This is the most desperate prayer ever prayed from the most discerning spirit that has ever lived, from the purest heart that ever beat, for deliverance from the most unjust suffering ever known. And you know what it got? This perfect prayer. Silence. Heaven was not moved. The cup was not taken from Jesus. The request was denied. The door remained closed. And from that unwanted, unmerited suffering came the hope of the world that remade all of history. Why we gather tonight. Jesus asked in Gethsemane not to be crucified. He didn't want to go to the cross. But he did. He chose it for you and for me. And what if God had said yes to Jesus' request? What if Jesus had been spared that cup? What if there had been no cross, no death, no tomb, no resurrection, no forgiveness of sins, no outpouring of the Holy Spirit, no birth of the church? I don't know. And I don't know why some prayers get yeses and some prayers get noes. But I know the anguish of a no when you want a yes more than you want anything else in the world. But I don't know why. I only know that in the cross, God's no to Jesus was turned into God's yes to you. Thank God. In, cross, in the cross, God's no to his only son was turned into God's yes to every human being who ever lived. Who ever lived. And what you might consider to be the most painful moment in all of the universe. Saying no to a perfect son who had done nothing wrong. God knows about closed doors. But listen to what John uh, says that Jesus does with his disciples. It's really beautiful. You know, the disciples, I don't know if they were on a, a long trip like I was with my parents, but they, they traveled quite a bit. The disciples were always pestering Jesus with questions, weren't they? Have you ever noticed that? Hey, Jesus, can I sit at your right hand? Hey, hey Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive this guy? Hey, hey Jesus, why was this man born blind? Hey, hey, Jesus... How come we couldn't cast out those demons the other day? Hey, how Jesus, what does this parable mean? Hey, hey, Jesus, they're doing it to him all the time. Hey, Jesus, which one of us is the greatest? Hey, Jesus, what do you mean in a little while? All the time. You know, they're walking down the road. Hey, Jesus. Hey, Jesus. Look at what Jesus says. I wonder if you ever got tired of all those questions. You know? And we, we still have those questions, don't we? Those questions of why. Why? John 16 um, puts it this way. 
He says, a little while and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying to us a little while and you'll no longer see me? And again, a little while you'll see me because I'm going to the Father. They said, what does he mean by this a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. They weren't the sharpest group. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, are you discussing among yourselves what I meant when I said a little while and you no longer see me? And, and they're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, that is. That, that's, that's what we're asking. And he says, okay. He says in uh, verses 22 to 23, he says, you have pain now, but I'll see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. On that day, you will ask nothing of me. On that day. Yes, there's pain now. But there will be a day that you will have all your questions answered. All of them. You don't have to worry. In a little while. Jesus says, my friends, let me tell you, for a little while you won't see me and things won't look right. Children will die of cancer. We will have wonderful people die in horrible accidents through no fault of their own. Hunger, war, hatred, horrible injustice, bodies being crippled by stuff they should never be crippled by, betrayal, abuse, violation. But it's not forever, friends. Jesus says, in a little while, it'll seem like a long time to you. It, it does. It's not just that it will, it does. But in the scale of eternity, in all that God has for us, it's only a little while. In a little while, in just a little while, in a very little while, I'm coming back, Jesus says. And you will see me again. And I will set it all right, all of it. And the world will be reborn. And its birth pangs will be forgotten. And joy will win. Joy will win. And you won't have to ask me any more questions, these hard questions of why. You'll be at peace. You'll have joy. What a good, good day that's going to be, Jesus says. And friends, if you're tempted to get impatient and if you wonder when this will ever happen, let me tell you, in just a little while. That's what Jesus says. No date on the calendar, only the Father knows that. Jesus says, in a little while. In a little while. And in John 10, we have this other promise. We've talked a lot about doors. Doors that Jesus opens, doors that Jesus closes. And then he says this, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am, the name that Jesus uses for himself, God uses for himself, I am, what? The door. Jesus himself is the door. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief doesn't come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly, Jesus says. It's a beautiful thing. Jesus himself is the door. The way to heaven itself. No other human being has ever said this about themselves. Not Buddha or Confucius or Muhammad or Caesar or Napoleon or anybody else. Jesus. Jesus alone. It says, I'm the door, I'm the gate, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And through Jesus, the door, the way, the portal, up there has come here tonight to you. That you can know him, that you can know peace, that you can know joy. Jesus left his home so that you could come home through the door. When the disciple John was a young man, he heard his friend Jesus say, I am the door. And then when John was an old man, he was given one more great vision of his friend Jesus. It says this in Revelation 4. After this, I looked, and there in heaven, a door stood open. That door 
is Jesus. That door is Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. You know, I often think that what I need in order to be free of anxiety is to know what's on the other side of the door. Right? Like, oh, oh God, I'll do this if you just tell me how it ends. But that's not how it is. We think, oh, we'll, we'll be at peace if we know what's on the other side of the door. The truth is, the only way to have peace is if you know the door himself, Jesus, and you walk through that door. But, you know, our tradition is not one where it's all about you. Because as you walk through the door of Jesus, Jesus also calls us to turn and say, thank you. Thank you for saving me. And then extending our hand of invitation for the next person, the next person closest to us, to step through that door. And for us to help them step, not something they have to do on their own, but something we do with them. Because Christ first loved us, we can step through the door, and we can turn, thank God for that invitation, and invite others to step through that door. Not because they're worth it, not because they're super, not because they teach in the children's department, but simply because God loves them. And we invite them to come.